Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Do you ever feel frustrated? Well, your dog does. Frustration occurs when an animal is interrupted in reaching their goals. Unfortunately, this occurs all too often in the modern world when a dog's goals do not align with those of their human companion. This can be a source of distress for both you and your dog, but it can also lead to the development of problem behaviors and can damage the relationship that you have with your dog. But we have answers for you. Join us for a two-day in-person seminar October 5th and 6th with instruction by Daniel Shaw. Daniel Shaw is an animal behaviorist with a background in animal behavior, psychology, and neuroscience. He will be talking about what frustration is and how it can be identified, the difficulty of conventional approaches in resolving frustration, what influences the value of rewards, as well as supporting frustrated dogs and building frustration tolerance. You can buy early bird tickets now until August the 5th, and be sure that you join us for our pre-seminar social Friday evening where you can meet Daniel and the Dog Speak team. We look forward to seeing you October 5th and 6th in Nashville, Tennessee for the Neuroscience of Resolving Frustration in Dogs seminar. Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Hope you're having a great week so far. Britt, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad that this is our final episode on trauma, just for a little while. We, we might not be the only ones glad that it's the final episode on trauma. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Hasn't been much fun these last few weeks. But I will tell you, we've had some great response from it, mm-hmm. and I think people are appreciating it. And I think that the more they listen, the more they'll start to really get it and kind of lose that visceral response to when you think about trauma. Yeah. So if you've not listened to the first three episodes, we highly recommend it. Um, But obviously, even if your dog doesn't have trauma, what we're going to be talking about today will be very beneficial for your dog. Well, just in relationship building in general. Absolutely. With your dog. Absolutely. And how to not cause trauma. (laughs) <laughs> Bingo. That's the big one right there is making sure that we don't, you know, create trauma by in the name of training obedience or in the name of socialization or in the name of exposure. I think mm-hmm. we have to learn there's a balance there and we're going to get more into that in future episodes. We've talked about it in the past. Feel free to go back and listen. But I do think that it's important that we we have to have this balance so that we don't overwhelm a dog. And if you've listened to the first three episodes, you understand that we're talking about what we're doing to their brain during this exposure, how the brain is learning how to fire, how long it stays in a firing mode. So just keep it in mind that we're really focused a lot on how the brain is affected here. And this is what we need to do. These are the next steps to help with that function. So this is not training advice. We're not dealing with training issues. We are dealing with trauma. So think of this as therapy. This is therapy for the dog, therapy for the humans that live with the dog who has trauma. And so 
this is not training. So we're not going to be thinking about what is this, what are these action items that I can do to ensure my dog does X, Y, and Z, and then I'll be successful, right? These are not measured goals that we're going for. We are looking for little bits of improvement. Maybe the dog recovers a half a second to a second faster than they did yesterday. Those are those little wins that we're looking for. So it makes sense that when we talk about dealing with trauma with dogs, it takes a caregiver Mm -hmm. to help with that. And we've got to make sure that the human understands their role in what we're doing. And so that'll be the first part of this today of what, what do the humans need to do in order to help their dog deal with trauma? Or like you said, avoid trauma. Uh, Obviously we're going to cover more on what to do with trauma, but again, just to recap real quick, you guys, I'm sure have listened to all three, but I just want to recap, recap trauma. Let me recap recap this information. I kind of feel like that sometimes for you. Uh, the overwhelming feeling that um, the brain embodies inability to cope with and or remove from an event or situation. Basically, the brain just doesn't know what to do. It's jumbled up. Uh, the nervous system is just overwhelmed. It's, you know, firing left and right, and nobody's able to make decisions. And so we want to make sure that we're there for the dog. We're there to help them through it, out of it, whatever the case may be. But that means we have to be aware of what could cause trauma in the environment for our dog and understand that the way indirect or direct trauma affects a dog is going to be different for every dog. It's an individual thing. So we have to look at the dog right in front of us. We have to say, okay, this is where my dog is here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like I'm going to talk to you guys about Myers, but he's not going to have the same issues as your dog. The trauma he has may have nothing to do with the trauma your dog has, which is why we're going to really focus on foundation today. And if your dog needs further help beyond the foundation, which I guarantee they will, that's when you need to reach out and find someone to help you. Now we can help you via Zoom. Uh, We can do Zoom consults and help you through the process. We don't have to to have our hands on the dogs. We can walk you through this because this is a, sometimes this is just a lifestyle change. And we're improving the dog's daily life. It's not a, we're going to fix this trauma and they're never going to have a problem again. And that's where owners need to first understand that this might be a one year, two year, three year lifetime process. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you have to see me for life, but just know that this is a slower process. Yeah. Like I said, it's therapy. Yeah. And so by understanding that as a human, that's going to help lower those expectations which is in turn going to lower those frustrations because let's be real I I do this for a living 27 years I still get frustrated with little man when he's having an off day and you know it's just it's human nature where I get a little frustrated I'm like dude really I held you all day yesterday (laughs) like I mean and then there are just sometimes I'm like I just I can't do it right now So I I feel you guys. I understand that if you are dealing with a dog who has suffered trauma, it can be debilitating on that dog and can really create a little wedge, I think, in a relationship with your dog, especially if you had in mind, like me, what I wanted my next dog to be like and all the adventures we would have. And 
sometimes we have those adventures. Sometimes he doesn't have the capability. And that's a little disappointing sometimes. But as I've gone through this study and put this out to you guys, it has made me more empathetic and more patient. Yeah. Because I'm not perfect. Guys, this is my profession. I'm, I'm not perfect in what I do. I'm not always going to have a perfect dog uh, because of the individual of a dog. It's understanding that it can be frustrating enough. And that's why I think it's important that as a human owner, you also do things to take care of yourself. Um, so Danielle Beck, you were reading a quote from her a little while ago that I thought was really good. Yeah, she uh, she specializes. She's over in the UK and she specializes in trauma. And I just wrapped up a a four part or three part webinar series with her that was once a month, and it was so fascinating. But this last class that she had, I thought she said something really, really good. Being that our job is really to empower the individual to advocate for their dog understand trauma and that this is a lifestyle change and I think that when we kind of set it up that way to say look I'm not going to give you any false sense of goals or promises that this dog is going to be a hundred percent healed I think it is important that we be very honest in what we see and because for me And truly, really anybody that does what I do, which is more behavior specialty, not just training, because not all dog trainers understand behavior. Uh, So be very, you know, do your research when you're looking for someone to work with behavior. When you're dealing with behavior like this, you also have to have empathy for the owner You have to have empathy for the dog. You have to speak for the dog. And you have to set the owner up with an understanding of what's truly happening and not just saying, this is what your dog's exhibiting and this is what I'm going to fix. Because I think owners have the right to understand how is this really truly affecting my dog? Because I think that when you understand that, you can look past some of these external behaviors that may drive you crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. So for me, and for, like I said, a lot of of behavior consults, we want to make sure that we are, one, we're building coping strategies for both human and owner, but we're also taking in the welfare of both human and owner. You can't just take the welfare of the dog and leave the human part out. Right. You have to take in both. And I think that, you know, the timing of me getting a dog with trauma Well, I guess the universe just thought that was cute uh, because this is kind of where I'm heading specialty-wise. I really enjoy this part of things. I think that if I had to deal with humans, I'd want to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. But this is something that having a dog that has dealt with trauma and not knowing exactly, like there is no one moment that something happened Mm -hmm. and he was brought into rescue so quickly. Uh, There's just a lot, there's a lot I can... I can make up in my head, Mm -hmm. but I have to look at the dog in front of me and I have to say, this is where we are and this is where I'm going to meet him. And my goal is to improve him, not perfect him. Right. Improve upon the improvements, not creating perfection. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me is kind of what I want with just my life and my dog's life in general. We just want to improve every day, not looking for perfection. 
the humans do have a huge role in this. Um, I have noticed a lot, and I'm sure you have too, as he just barks as I'm thinking about this. My energy level plays a huge part in Meyer's behavior. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're nodding, but they can't see your head. If you're amped up, he's definitely, like, on alert, ready, like, what's going on? What are we doing? He's he's matching you for sure. But I'll tell you what's really interesting, and I noticed it more today than I have. We're recording this on a weekend. We, I am a huge softball fan. We've talked about this before. I love my Gators, love my softball. I get amped up watching softball, but I have different types of amping. They look the same, but the motivation behind it's different. I get excited, and it's a different type of amp than when I'm not happy. Mm -hmm. And what's really strange is the behavior I exhibit is very similar. If you couldn't hear me and couldn't hear what I'm saying, you would assume it's the same emotion. Right. He, I watched him. When I was upset earlier because we were playing poorly, and I'm not like screaming and throwing things at the TV. I just, I pace a lot, and but my energy's coming out, I think, more negative. He wanted to go outside. He kept trying to like escape and not want to be in there. But then when I got excited, when we got home runs, and I was worked up because we were coming back, he was barking, chasing the cats, coming after, you know, coming to see me. It was a totally different amp. Mm-hmm. It's like he knew... Like the energy I was putting out was different when I was happy versus when I was frustrated, mm-hmm. even though it looked the same. Mm-hmm. And it sounded the same. Not one was louder than the other. Well, but you also have to take tone and consideration. Uh, your body language changes. I mean, you say if you were watching it without volume, I would look the same. You, you don't. No. No. I feel like I look you, the same. You don't. No. No. I mean, when you're... <laughs> Screaming curse words and... Okay, I don't like sit there and cuss out my girls or anything. Don't say that. No, I'm not. I'm just... You're, I might say something to the man in blue. At the situation. Yeah. It is different than you cheering. It's completely different. Because he'll bark when I'm cheering and clapping, right? But even then, my, sometimes my tone gets pretty deep when I'm excited after a home run or... No, it's different. Really? Because I feel like it's, it's totally the same. It's different. No. See, and that's why it helps to have someone no, no, around are, that can help you. You are absolutely different. Um, yeah, it's interesting. See, and that because I wouldn't know that, and I think a lot of people, if they don't have that person in the home that can say, "Hey, you changed your tone," then they may not even know it. So it's harder to change habits if you don't have someone there to help you, because as a habit, you don't think about it. So we talked about driving a car. Mm-hmm. You just don't think about it. It just happens. I think if we don't have somebody that's willing to say, hey, you're doing X, Y, and Z, then we can't change. And I think that not only for the humans, but that's going to be the same thing with the dogs, right? If I watch the dog do something that is out of habit, they're not making a conscious decision, but it's not the right thing in that moment, I have to step in and help out. I expect someone to do that for me. And I want people to do that for my clients, and I will tell people that sometimes the hardest changing, the hardest time to change is if you live alone because you don't have anyone to say this on a regular basis. Yeah. And, and it, it's going to be a little bit of a slower process. So I want to give yourself grace, right, 
to to know that it's going to take some time to change. And, you know, maybe when interacting with your dog, set up your phone, set up a camera, set up a, a webcam or something so that you can actually go back and watch yourself interacting and see if you've changed your tone. I mean, I'm sure if you recorded me, I went back and looked, I'd probably be like, yeah, you're right. I totally changed and didn't realize it. Yeah, I'm I'm quite surprised. I've not mentioned it before because I thought you just recognized it. No, based I, on his, I feel like it's the same. On his reaction to you getting excited about a game. So that's why I've never mentioned it before. But no, you're, it's two different. It's two different energy, like wavelengths. I mean, I know that the, I mean, if I, you had some sort of like color coding, like mood <laughs> ring, like I should probably get a mood electro and wear during the something games that could show like, yeah, the colors would be different. You know what? Maybe somebody send me a mood ring and I'll wear it. I mean, I, we'll post just, it. Yeah. <laughs> so it just being, I would just, like to, I'd like to see that because, you know, funny if I have my watch on, my heart rate doesn't really change that much. No, your heart rate's going to be the it same because you're consistent, still excited. But the mood, you're right. It's, it's it, coming across differently. All right. It's the motivation behind mm-hmm. it, and it's the tone, and it's the body language all changes. Which means that we as humans have to be very aware of our movements. I guess, I mean, not I guess, tone of voice for sure. I just didn't realize mine changed. The, even our breathing can really make a difference. I mean, we see Isabella all the time come to you and stick to you like glue when you're having a more nervous day. Mm-hmm. Because she's picking up on your breathing, your tone of voice, your movements. Maybe the movements are maybe a little bit sharper or maybe they're dragging, right? So if you're, you've got movements that are dragging, maybe you're just sluggish, not feeling really good. Whereas if maybe they're too jerky, you're on the high energy scale. So I guess, I mean, dogs are going to pick up on that. I can certainly watch people and see kind of what mood they're in by their movement a lot of times, but I do think we need to pay more attention to what we are doing and what we're saying to our dog. I will now be, I actually started a little bit picking up on it towards the end of this game, but yeah, he's just probably going to need to take a nap when I watch. Well, I mean, and especially because we talk so much about being consistent and that person that comes home and is unpredictable. So if you... Take a game into consideration, a sporting <laughs> event where, and and we all do it. It's it's not just you, um, where you get frustrated at the ref or you get frustrated because your quarterback threw a pick six or versus you're cheering because your team scored a touchdown. Like those are different emotions. Like your, your tone's different. Your body language is going to be different. And so you're going to be like up and down that entire time, you know, and then there's halftime and everybody's chilling and eating wings like nothing happened. And so it's like you take those three hour moments and like the dog has no idea what's going on. Right. I mean, and it's not just sports. I'm sure there are other examples, but we're just a sports family. So that resonates here. Um, and we've had dogs that are just used to, like, they just... Oh, Dan would they hoop ad- and holler with me. She'd, we'd get into a howling fest. They adapt. Every home run. You know, <laughs> Isabella doesn't give a shit. She really doesn't. She's pretty She's good about like, dealing with it. Whatever. So I think it's something you have to be careful of because you ultimately then become that person that comes home from work on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday in a great mood, and then 
Thursday and Friday, you're in a terrible mood and your dog doesn't know what to expect from you. And it's, you're in a, you're, it's just, a, it's a sporting event. You don't think about it. You're like, this is just part I never of thought my about life. it. I, I never thought about it, but that makes so much sense that when you have people who are into things like hockey, football, baseball, softball, whatever the sport is, it's a, that's a really high level of energy, lots of adrenaline. If you, if you have a dog with trauma and you watch those, it may be best to put these guys into their safe place or quiet place, which we're going to talk about. You know, I never really thought about it because none of my dogs have ever really had a problem. Like even my cats are like, yeah, this is just what she does. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I think there are probably a lot of dogs that are like, I, you know, I, I was rescued. My last owner, were, they were in a good mood and they got home. They were in a bad mood by the time they went to bed. They were loving me and then they yelled at me and they, you know. So I can see how that can really translate to a dog of going, I don't know what to expect from these people, even though the same thing is on the TV, they may not have the ability to recognize that that's the same thing every week or that that's a great point. I, and I, this brings me back to a story I heard from um, like a childhood friend who had a parent who, if their team lost would take it so seriously and to the extreme that they would throw things and they would scream at people and they were in a bad mood for the rest of the day. Wow. And you couldn't approach that person. Like they took it so seriously. Right. So imagine if you're that person, you know, and so like the, this friend was like, I, don't watch sports like people start screaming and i freak the fuck out oh i could see that you know because yeah this was the experience with my dad or whomever this person was and like it's a game bro yeah you know and i, mean, so, I can understand it's frustrating and i get i get upset yeah but then like to let it ruin your but entire yeah life yeah right like come on so um, i mean unless you're betting the house on it in <laughs> please which, don't do that in which case like come on <laughs> Don't be betting on it. Don't. If it's going to make you that mad and angry, don't be betting on things. Don't, it's not worth it. Don't do that. So all that to say, um, I can see why a dog who can't rationalize what the hell's going on, like you're just suddenly screaming at this box on the wall. Like, Yeah. And then if they even can't, you know, and a lot of times you'll see dogs come over to try to soothe you and people are like, no, go lay down. I'll do that with Myers. I mean, I don't push him away. I don't, I'm not like, get out of my face. I'm just like, all right, dude, you need to go get on your place. Mainly because I might step on you because I pace a lot during softball. But I can see where I have probably in the past been upset or something at one of my dog or at a game. And one of my dogs came up to ask for attention. And I like probably told him to go lay down mm-hmm. in not a nice way. Mm-hmm. And we probably have all done that. And that's what we need to be aware of that it's being more detrimental to their health than it is for us. And that comes to that point of when a dog is asking for attention, and this is what's really changed in my mind. We're going down a little rabbit hole on this, but I think it's important. I do. I think I bring this up later, but this is important. I think that when we have a dog who has suffered trauma and they're, they're coming up and they're asking for attention, it is our responsibility to look at them and be like, what can I do for you in this moment? So many times and for so many years, people have been told that when your dog comes and demands attention, 
that you either punish them or ignore them, mm-hmm. which is still going to be punishment in that situation, in that scenario. And I think a lot of people assume when their dog comes up and is demanding attention, they're demanding it out of a, as your balance and aversive trainers say, dominance. They're trying to control you. They're the alpha. Yeah, bullshit. They're looking at you as their secure attachment and they need your help. And that is one thing that's really changed in my mind, mm-hmm. um, especially with a little man. When he, even as a puppy, when he was nervous and he came over demanding attention, I, I say demanding, I don't want to say it that way. Yeah, he was asking, I don't mean to asking say that. For, asking for attention. He was asking for comfort. He was asking for safety. And I'd pick him up and I'd hold him. Mm-hmm. And now he comes to me. When he, when he needs that comfort and he doesn't want to go in his crate, he is now coming to me asking me to pick him up. And he, y'all, he sits on my hip like a baby. He puts, I put one leg on my back, one leg, you know, on my stomach, and he sits on my hip. Yep. Like a child. I need to get a picture of it. Yeah, you should. But he's doing it because he needs that comfort. And this is a part of what your job is going to be as the human, as the owner You have to be that for them, Mm -hmm. right? So what other roles humans have? Even though we do need to pay attention to our mood, pay attention to our movements, our breathing, tone of voice, and all those things, you want to learn how to be more consistent, more predictable. Because any type of fear, when you have fear, the best thing to combat fear is predictability. Mm-hmm. That's why you hate haunted houses. There's no predictability in haunted houses. I mean, if you go enough, there's predictability in haunted houses. There's just like, I know there are predictability in horror movies. And when they don't do it, and then they catch it another time, yeah, that's a problem. So, predictability and consistency. And of course, the history of the relationship is going to play a huge part. Do not freak out if you feel like you've fucked up. And screwed up your dog for life. It's repairable. Right? Like I said earlier, we're not necessarily going to make the dog 100% the best it can be. And no trauma whatsoever. But Mm -hmm. we can repair this. We had an email not too long ago about what do you do? Are you going to do an episode of I fucked up? How do I apologize (laughs) to my dog? Didn't you do that with Steve? We did do that with Steve. Didn't we have that episode We did have that with Steve. Y'all look back on that episode with Steve because we did do that. We talked about how... How do I, how do I not be an asshole anymore? Mm-hmm. Right? I'm a recovered asshole. How do I unfuck this? How do I unfuck this? And here's the thing. We're going to. I'm going to teach you in this episode today. You are going to hear what you need to do. And we've already told you a few things. I came up with a little acronym called SPEND. We love to spend as humans, right? We love spending. Sometimes we spend too much, and I'm not just talking about money. Maybe it's feelings, emotions, time, whatever. But spend is my acronym that I came up with uh, for humans, just to kind of give you an, an overall view of what you need to do. Uh, support. S stands for support. Let's go back to, like, you know, <laughs> elementary school here. S, S is, is for support. Right? Support your dog. We're going to talk more in depth about what this all means, but just to go ahead and put it in your head. Support your dog. You have to support them. When little man comes to me and wants to be picked up, I support him by picking him up. It's not always convenient. I'm used to having Rottweilers. I mean, this guy is a little more needy than I'm used to. But I'm going to support him. Um, P is for protect. 
I want to protect him from things that are going to make him afraid and fearful. I have to figure out my own behavior and what's the best way to protect him when I'm watching softball. Yeah, I think uh, maybe that's where he gets to go have his alone time in his own room with a nice topple or pup cup. Absolutely. And that's the thing. It's, <laughs> that's his protection in that moment, right? And that's where I have to think about that. Not just what I want and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. E is for empathy. Got to empathize, man. This dog doesn't understand what's happening. Most of us humans don't even understand the trauma we are dealing with. Mm-hmm. So you definitely have to, to make sure you have some empathy. Sometimes it can be hard, especially when you have, you know, life. N is for navigate. This is about navigating your dog's life to protect and support them. So navigation is important. And then you have direction. D is for direction. And that means that sometimes you need to be the dog's tour guide and you need to help direct them to something that's going to settle that Mm -hmm. brain and settle them. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk more about what that looks like specifically that you guys are going to do. But that's just your overall spend is what you need to do. Support, protect, empathize, navigate, and direct. Now, when we are talking about trauma, one of the things that we look at, and and I think this is important that you guys understand how I look at a dog and what I'm looking at when I see trauma. Because again, most people think that I'm going to come in, I'm going to see this external behavior, and I'm going to I'm going to suppress this external behavior and everything is going to be good. And if you've listened to the last three episodes, you realize that's not what we're doing. Right. When I am looking at a case that could be trauma-based, I am taking the entire dog's life in consideration. So I'm, I'm looking at the legs, right? What type of learning has this dog had? Um, has it been taught using aversive techniques? Has it been taught only command-based training, not necessarily using negatives, but has the dog ever learned how to problem solve, make choices? Have they been punished for making choices? I have to look at the environment. Is their environment conducive to contributing to the trauma? Is the environment conducive to helping with the trauma? So if I have a dog who has been traumatized by children uh, when they were a puppy, being that they were treated like a you know a doll, mm-hmm. rehoming them into a home that has children is not going to be conducive in helping this dog with trauma. Right, and I think that's why it's so important. Why I think it's I just really wish rescues would do a better job at getting as much information as they possibly can to help with that, mm-hmm. because I do think we put a lot of dogs in situations that they're in that trauma every day. And, and that's not going to help them. Even you could have the best heart, right? But if I had a dog come to me who was very afraid of loud noises, they would not work well in this home. No. I'm loud. Um, I have a lot of energy. Sometimes it's not all positive energy, but you know, I just, I have this energy. This is not, no matter how much I loved the dog, this is not the best place for them. And if it comes to the point where this is not the best place for Myers because my energy and his energy clash to where he stays in more of a trauma state, I won't hesitate to rehome him because it's the best thing for him. Mm-hmm. In these situations, and this is, I really want to get this across, in these situations, I don't want you guys to feel guilty about rehoming. I have a couple of cases 
that I that I've had in the past five six years where rehoming truly was the best case scenario for that dog for their welfare yeah and it's not anything against the human it's just just what they're dealing with sometimes you you as a human don't have the capacity to fix another exactly being right or to be supportive of another being or you know you you just don't have the capacity and i don't want people to or the resources yeah because it's not fair i think that so many times you see rehoming on you know social media and people are immediately jumping uh oh you're moving and you can't take your dog with you yeah i used to be that person Mm -hmm. i used to be like oh you got this dog you should keep them I don't know that situation. I don't know the circumstances and I don't know the individualism of the dog and what that history looks like. I don't need to make those judgment calls. Yeah, I think that's unfair. Right. Um, I, now, if I get more information and I find out you're granted, just an asshole, I mean, I'll call you yeah. an asshole. Granted, there are some where I'm like, yes, <laughs> please, somebody take this dog. This human does. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's very obvious. Mm-hmm. This person does not need a dog. But at the same time, I'm like, that's still the most responsible thing. You know, I mean, right? So, we we I don't want people we, keeping dogs yeah. for the fear of the repercussions of people around them, mm-hmm. or keeping a dog out of selfishness because they don't give up on anyone. Mm-hmm. When when y'all say I'm not going to give this dog up because I don't give up on anyone. Once you're in this house, you're here for life. That's a selfish comment coming from a place of really good. Like that's coming from your heart. I know what you're trying to say, but we have to think of the welfare of the dog yeah, and not your ego. Yeah. And I mean, you also have to not only have the capacity, but have the ability to get the resources. To, yes. And, and not everyone does. No. And it's not, it's time consuming. It can be expensive. That's something people don't think about. It's can be very expensive. Absolutely. Um, it takes a lot of your own energy. I mean, look at, look at clients you've had who have put so much of their life on hold in order to fix their dog, which they were, they were committing to the dog. Not that they were like, no, they were committing. To yeah. The dog. Not that they were like, Oh, look at all these things I can't do anymore. But they were saying, all right, I am committing to this relationship to fix it. And I have several clients like that right now. Yeah. That have just put their life on hold, no travel, no nights yeah. out, right? Like to... Because it's, impor- it's important to them and they have the resources Absolutely. to do so. There are some people who don't. And, and that's, that's understandable. also okay. Absolutely. And I think that you know, when, we, when we think about rehoming a dog, we think, well, you know, used to is like, don't take them to the shelter. They'll definitely be put to sleep. Most rescues and shelters have a very high rate of adoption, very low rate of euthanasia. And I think that that's an outdated excuse. Mm-hmm. I think that we're doing a better job at funding our shelters and our animal control. Well, Obviously, de- you have some very rural areas. I'm, I'm not going to put that as a blanket statement. Yeah. But I do think that you ha- the dog still has a chance. It's not an automatic death sentence. And I think a lot of people still think that. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of breed rescues. There are a lot of rescues out there. They don't necessarily, not all rescues are equal. They all don't do a great job at putting the resources where they need to put them, which means that sometimes a dog who is very adoptable and 
pretty rehomeable doesn't get that chance because they're overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And this is where I have to throw rescues to say, guys, you got to start treating this as more of a business and not saving everything under the sun. Right. If you're into saving cars, you're going to pick the cars that you know that you can turn around and sell. You're not just going to go to the junkyard and pick out 12 that don't run because you like that brand. This was an old, I mean, Rolls Royce, right? Like original, like, right? But so, you don't have the resources to fix it. Sorry. If you don't have the resources, so it's just going to gonna stay that. there with you. It sits in your garage for twenty years. That is where we're running wrong, and in, in running rescues more with our heart than a mind and a business sense. So that we should have better resources to help people that need to rehome dogs because the trauma doesn't necessarily put the dog in the right environment. We got to look at the welfare of the dog. And I and I also see too and, and I'm not going to shit on rescues like they're Oh no. They're there's some great ones. They're doing yeah, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, right? Like but I also see a lot of posts on rescue like this dog was returned because of this this and this. What a shitty person where they're doing the shaming and and I get that there's part of that that's like a marketing yeah. Like they can use that as a marketing tool yeah. <laughs> to like pull at some heartstrings Absolutely. and like Absolutely. look at, instead of saying, Hey guys, so this dog didn't fit in the home. And because also then you have to, as a rescue say, Oh, maybe we shouldn't have adopted that dog to that particular. Which is usually home. the case. Yeah. Yes. Um, anyway, we're going, we're derailing. Yeah, but here, that, but, but it's, but um, I think that's important to talk about because sometimes the environment's not right for the dog's welfare. Mm -hmm. And we have to get away from our heart, our ego, and say, this is not the right environment. Yeah. Um, I also look at genetics. Obviously, you know, if I have a dog who came from a mother who was in stress, which Myers did, mm -hmm. he's going to have stress, and the mother wasn't around when he got rescued. They didn't even know who his mother was. Then he had to go to a surrogate. I mean, it was, there was a lot happening. So those genetics play a part. And, and yes, they do run down. Uh, the line. So you have to be careful with that. And then, of course, we're looking at the S with legs, which is the self. We look at the dog themselves. We look at mm -hmm. their physical. Um, are they, do they look like they're in pain? Do they, do they look like they're standing up or getting down really slowly and they're very young? Um, I'm always taking in the entire dog. I want to look at that dog. I want to watch that dog. I want to see how they approach me, how they approach their environment, how they approach their owners. Mm-hmm. I like to watch owners, how they interact with the dog without me asking them to, because that's when you're going to get the true, how things happen. I can watch an owner interact with the dog automatically because maybe the dog's irritating me, you know, trying to jump on me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I know in that moment how they normally interact, because if I ask them, give your dog some commands, they do it totally differently. Yeah. They're grabbing treats. They're standing up. They're giving hand signals. They're... That, that's not the real interaction. And so I'm always looking at the real interaction between because so much plays off of the human. The, I'm going to go back to, um, obviously, the, this legs is from Kim Brophy. Love her. amazing, who's been yes. on the show. And going back to the genetics. So the whole stress and trauma being transferred, it, like in the womb. Mm-hmm was such a new concept for me and I didn't realize that that also applies to humans. So I was on a business trip this week and I totally forgot about this story. Totally forgot to tell you this. I'm sitting at a table. 
um, with swine veterinarians. And this is an industry that is becoming more female prevalent. Um, big vets, yep. are, there are a lot more women coming into that field. And so I'm sitting there with female swine vets. I'm sorry. I was just, I'm sorry. I was just thinking because this is what I do during trauma, that the animals are probably much more appreciative. Those large animals that there are women veterinarians sticking their arms up their asses <laughs> and not the man. Possibly. Sorry. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Sorry guys. That and was, we're not, that was my dad joke, I guess. For we're the, not for getting the, into the Sorry. Go know, ahead. Production and yeah, things sorry. like that. We're, we're talking about, you know, these things. And so, um, one of my coworkers who's on, on my team, we were talking about, she's talking about her dog and driving her crazy. And so we're talking about dogs because there's another person on the team who breeds dogs and it's talking about an upcoming litter and responsibly everyone, this is a responsible breeder, um, and knows what they're doing. And so, um, so I'm at this table with like swine vets and mothers and dog owners who have no idea about training, but they are listening to the podcast and then like dog breeders. And so we get into this discussion because one of my coworkers who doesn't have a dog, but listens to the podcast, shout out, shout out to you, Jen, um, go Jen (laughs) said something. We were talking about it and, uh, she's like, yeah, this can be passed down. Like, and one of the veterinarians goes, oh yeah, yeah. She's, and she's a mother. She's like, yes, I do know from being a mother that it can, but also like it's something that you see in pigs as well. It's not just humans. It's not just like this is a like universal like maybe just mammals. I'm going to say mammal. Uh, this is like a mammal thing. And then, you know, breeder over here is like, yep, that's for sure. Like this is what we have to do with the dog. Like when they're pregnant, we ought to make sure that they're in a good spot and they're in the house. Like all yep. these things. <laughs> and it was just such like this deep conversation. That I, I kind of t- wish I was there. Totally forgot to tell you about. Yeah. We had this conversation. I feel like I need to start going on these business trips if we're going to bring up dog stuff. Oh, we, a, a lot of like dogs get brought up all the time because there are similarities between pigs and dogs. Yes. And so we're Most talking pigs about are smarter. welfare and um, you know, ethics and things like mm-hmm. that, that, that always gets brought into it. And, and so, yeah, they're talking about, oh yeah, yeah, that's, you can tell if, you know, uh, if a sow is stressed, her litter is probably, they're going to also display signs of stress. Yes. And I was like, I had no idea any of this was a thing it until is. Kim Brophy. And then, then I'm talking about it with other people and, didn't know it was a human thing either. And I'm sitting at a table of mothers who are like, oh shit. Yeah. Like this yeah. happened to me while I was pregnant. Let me tell you about my child. Yeah. And you know, it's, fasc- it's fascinating <laughs> it's like- how the brain works and how it's developed. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's developed from the past, the present to prepare yourself for the future. Yeah. And it's just a crazy thing. And, and imagine with us, knowing I can sit here and say, okay, I have trauma for when my mother was pregnant with me, blah, blah, blah. I could say that and be aware of it and work on it. But dogs don't know. Right. They don't know why they're feeling this way. Myers doesn't know why smoke scares him. I'm not sure why smoke scares him. I'm assuming that when he couldn't find his mother and he was hungry and that there was a fire burning somewhere and smoke was around or his mother dealt with the owner smoked and always smelled of smoke 
Do you, and why she was pregnant. Do you want to tell the story of what happened last night with him? Last night? What happened last night? So we we went out to dinner last night, dinner and a movie with... We had a double date with our niece and her boyfriend. He was so cute. It was really awesome, except it was a scary movie that I, vol- that I volunteered which to see. Really which is really weird, but bizarre. it was cool. We loved it. Whatever. Rose and I laughed through some of it. We got tickled because there was some good stuff in it. My wife, we're sick. my wife was really sweet and snuck me in uh, a small bottle of Prosecco. I'm um, willing to go to jail for you. Thanks. You're welcome. Going go to AMC jail. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we left our windows open here at the house. It was a gorgeous day yesterday. We had the fans going. It was, you know, oh. it stayed cool in here. I think I blocked that out. So we got home last night and our neighbors had been burning brush. And this didn't start until after we left. Well, Myers was a wreck. Absolute wreck. Like like borderline screaming, running in circles. And Nikki's like, I don't understand. He was in the crate yeah, while was, we were gone. Yeah. But my window was open. And I, and she's like, I don't understand. what's that. Like, did he get hot somehow? Like, what's happening? Why is he bad? It's like, Nikki, our house smells like smoke. And his attachment is not here I was not there and it was like this light bulb like oh I didn't even I don't even know why I didn't even smell the smoke it just didn't or I smelled it and it just didn't register because I got home I was like oh my god our house smells like it's on fire you know and he was and we gave him a little bit of a alprazolam for yeah. dinner last night yeah because he was in a bad he was bad it was in a bad place yeah. and you know that's rough and to know that oh man I you know maybe I should have shut the windows I just didn't think about it. But that's, again, as a human, we have to be aware of these things. And that's that part of that protection that I missed on. And I won't make that mistake again. We'll make sure things are closed up. No matter how nice the day is, we're going to close things up. And, you know, and again, it's all, guys, it's constantly learning. Yeah. I mean, yes, I've been doing this a long time. But look, I'm still learning. And when I when I stop learning is when I need to quit. Well, and you've right? got to learn. I think it's important in order to support and protect Mm -hmm. you first have to know the patterns yes and you have to know the signs and you have to know the symptoms and sort of even if you don't know what caused it yeah you have to know this trigger this is a trigger Mm -hmm. and i have to one know what my dog needs in that situation and two i have to figure out how what the best way to protect them in that situation yes whether that's during a game, you recognize that your energy is going to be up. Yep. So, hey, you know what? Let's make this room a very calming room. You go in here. Hard when you have a small house. It is. And you're watching in the living room. It is. But make this, like, a really great experience where, hey, when... So, like, for instance, my parents, when they were together, were... Still are. They, they love <laughs> NASCAR we were certainly allowed to watch it with them. That wasn't a problem. But a lot of those times they would have people over. It was kind of loud. Mm. Um, or for like a, if they were having a party or something. So what they would do is like we could have some friends over. But they that was like one time where we would get like pizza. Right? Or fast food. And we'd get to rent a movie. And we'd go. And part of that was my parents didn't want to deal with us. 
Amen. Right. I mean, let's be real. Look, I don't want to deal with anybody while I'm watching softball. Right. Like, so I don't go out in public. Right. They're to managing, watch it. Th- which is totally understandable. Except in you need your own time. But also, it did get rowdy. And I was a nervous child, a very nervous child. So for me, I started to associate those things with like fun things, right? Like, I get a friend or I get a movie or, um, like I get to go in my room, like my mom bought me these headphones, like noise canceling headphones, which were like at the time they were wireless, like p- you things, were the bomb, man. things like this did not exist. Like I, she was like, yeah, I'm going to get these for her so she can like sort of block all of this out. Um, here's pizza, you know, that sort of thing. Like, let's make this space. Ooh, positive associations. Yeah, like let's do some positive associations. Place. Yeah. Um, and make this a safe place. Um. Anyway, that was no. I, I derailed again, but I, you know what I mean. It's just, but no, it's right because they recognized it. Yeah, and that's the thing is, we have to be able to recognize what is this that triggers, what is this that sets that that, you know, that nervous system off. Mm-hmm. What can we do to prevent that? Because the more yeah. the nervous system practices that, the the faster it's going to respond. Mm-hmm. So we do have to be very aware, and that's where you're kind of keeping a journal. Can truly help. Oh, yeah. And we're going to get into that as well. Yeah. So continuing on with what I look at, I'm looking at the legs, but I'm also looking at the physical movement of the dog. We talked about that because pain can play a huge part in a lot of this. Um, But when I do interact with the dog, I'm looking at like, you know, does the dog have good problem solving skills? How's the dog's confidence? Is the dog reading communication skills appropriately? I'm really taking in a lot of that. And then I'll simply ask for certain commands. Um, from I'll ask myself if I'm with the dog just to see if the dog can see that that word means the same from the owner. Or uh, sometimes I'll throw in some hand signals to see if the dog truly is just picking up body language. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that I'll look at. And as y'all just heard my trauma dog back there barking. Bless him. Bless him. He just woke up. But I'm going to look at a lot. Uh, it's not as simple as everybody thinks it is when you're looking at something. There's, mm-hmm. A lot of times it, it runs so much deeper. And it's our job to make sure we're looking deeper and not just the, at the external irritating behaviors that your dog does. And I laugh at that because I look at my dog and go, yeah, those are some really irritating external <laughs> behaviors. But I know why. And then I can take him places to like social hour and he's perfect. I mean, so it doesn't mean that just because your dog has trauma doesn't mean that they're limited in their life. You just may have to adjust some of the thoughts that you had and things that you wanted. So let's now, let's get into 49, 50 minutes in. Let's get into some actionable items. Uh, And this might end up being a two-parter and we just go ahead and apologize. But we're going to get into some actionable items. Are we going to talk about navigating and... Yeah, we're going to talk about direction yeah we're going to talk about building that foundation like what the base. difference is okay right so the first thing is that foundational base we've got the owners starting to understand it a little bit more but there's there, these are more things the owner has to do mm-hmm. all right so with the owner you have to create some foundation and really the first thing you need to do you need to make sure that your dog sees you as a secure attachment mm-hmm. like Meyer sees me as his secure attachment I don't think he did until I started feeding him more often We've changed up how we feed, and yeah. I've been feeding him more. Yeah. And he's definitely seeing me more. Mm-hmm. So I think that if there's someone in the household that wants to be that secure attachment, you need to take over 
doing feeding with that particular dog. Because that is a, that's survival. The that person is survival. that is giving you. You will attach yourself to them. Yep. Like you fill up my wine glass. I have attached myself to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Damn. All right. How do we build this secure attachment? Honestly, feeding, we just talked about. Just spend time with your dog. You don't even have to do anything. Be together. Mm-hmm. We talk about in relationships, quality time, right? You and I need to make quality time. Um, and that is important that you just make time where we just sit in the hammocks. Mm-hmm. Or we'll just sit in chairs outside. We don't have to talk. We don't have to do anything. Sometimes we just sit and watch the stars. Or our chairs in the living room. Or our chairs in our nice new living room that we have. <laughs> um, it, it Truly, we don't have to do anything. Maybe we're just listening to music. Mm-hmm. Maybe you just want to sit around with your dog and read a book. Doing nothing with your dog and expecting nothing, just being with your dog makes a huge difference. That might be that you're sitting out in your front yard watching the world go by. Or you're in the backyard watching the birds, mm-hmm. you know, fly around. Don't think that everything you do with your dog has to be action-based. You can just be with them. Mm-hmm. And that's how you start building this attachment. Um, but but also you, think about, sorry. No, it's good. Interrupt, like, just being and being able to sit with someone and feel comfortable with them and not feel the need to do anything or be anything and you're not having to navigate like society or I mean that's a great way to start building a relationship and a bond how does this person respond in this situation can I just sit here and be myself in front of them we don't have to be go 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 all the time you know and this like this person isn't demanding uh, theater for me right. or that I'm jumping through hoops and you know we need to do thing. a better job as humans finding people like that in our lives we do we are very fortunate mm-hmm. that we have some friends that I mean Amanda can be here all weekend and it's like she's just a roommate <laughs> no offense Amanda no no, it's no I love great. having no but it's, I mean it's like, I, there's no we it's don't hysterical have to be. how smooth it is right. I mean like when she and I get up and start we'll you know, we'll, well even my mother saw it at Christmas. Yeah. You two working like a team in the kitchen. And we never, we, ne- we didn't talk to each other except, hey, do you know where this pan is? Or do you have a pan big enough for this? Or can you set the oven to this? I mean, it, it's just, it's sort of hysterical. And it's really cute from being that it's- I adore both of you. <laughs> and so it's really cute to sit back and watch. She's like, well, I guess I'm staying the weekend with you guys. We're like, of course okay. you are. Like, yeah. But it's, but if there's nothing that they, we don't feel like we have to change what we would normally do. If right, I like, want to go to the gym, I'm going to go to the right, gym. Like my house is a mess. So sorry. Yeah. If right. she wants to go take a nap, she'll go take a nap. If she wants something to eat, she'll go in there and get it. Yeah. But I think we all need to have friends like that. I mean, my friend, well, my, not my, just my friend, our friend, Julie, um, who I'm doing the pool, you know, the podcast with. One of the things that she's mentioned several times is um, that she doesn't feel like she has to be anything with us. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to wear makeup. She doesn't have to dress up. She doesn't have to be Julie Roberts. She's just Julie. And we're just friends. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I love that I can be that for someone. I love that other people are that for me. I love that I have those relationships, but I also think that any relationship, you should be able to do that. 
you know, so I encourage that as humans yeah. having those relationships to where you can, it's okay to just do nothing, yeah. no pressure, nothing. You just, it's just about feeling safe with that person. Oh yeah. Right. Um, well, being I able mean, to trust that person. Think about Anne and, and Chelsea. Yeah. Like, throwing them in here too. Like oh, yeah. coming over in their pajamas. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Right. Like no one cares. Like, <laughs> Nobody cares. Or the, because we've all had people in our lives where we feel like we have to be on our best behavior. We have to be best dressed. Mm-hmm. We have to be. You and know, if you think about it, those are the people that are no longer in your life. Groomed. We have to do all these things and jump through hoops to be in a relationship with those people. And then you learn, man. That's not what you're looking for. No. Mm-mm. And, know, I want to be able to relax with someone. Yeah. And so many times especially if that relationship happened when you were a child and that person was the person who caused the trauma and you're still jumping through hoops. And, and we talked like about a this. parent. Yeah. We talked yeah. about this in the last episode. Dogs, dogs desire for connection is going to like outweigh. Yes. That because connections, everything negative association, Even right? It's really it's bad like, for you. <laughs> connections more important. Right. And that's why a lot of people stay in relationships that are not healthy. Mm-hmm. Because the connection is more important. Yeah. But I think when we can learn to be with those people, then it's going to help us to be that for our dog and also just let our dog just be with us. And just be. Just be. They don't need to jump through hoops. Right? They need to be able to trust you. And here's the thing. There are going to be times in your dog's life that you're going to have to do something that you're going to break that trust. Where you're going to go pick them up and you're going to take them to the vet and they're going to get vaccinated or they're going to get put in the bathtub or they're going to get something happening that is, you know, a little scary. Mm -hmm. What we want to make sure we do is make sure that we build up enough into our account that when we do need to withdraw that, it's not going to bankrupt, Mm -hmm. you know, your account. And there are times where... I made a point when he was, when Myers was little, I would not pick him up unless he gave me permission. Mm-hmm. But then there were times I needed to pick him up to do something. But I had put enough into the account that when I did have to do that, he doesn't run for me if I need to pick him up. Right. He can still tell me he doesn't want to be picked up and I will respect that if it's just because I want to pick him up because I want to pick him up. Mm-hmm. But if I need to, I can do it and not ruin things. Yeah. So when you're just hanging out with your dog, read a book, watch the world go by, watch a movie, not anything too scary. Be predictable, right? Just be there with your dog. Maybe set up some routines or play some pattern games that we've talked about in in episode, you know, what, four weeks ago, five weeks ago. So it is important that we have that bond because if you don't have that bond, if you are not their secure attachment, it's not going to go any farther. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get any improvement any farther. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that there are cases to where you have one person is the secure attachment and the other person in the household is the trauma. Not because yeah. they meant to be the trauma, whatever the reason may be. Um, you know, we've had cases to where the dog is attached to one person in the household but scared of the other person in the household regardless of what they've tried. Living with that trauma is hard, but at least having that secure attachment and that one is going to be very important. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to help with the rest. All right, so the second thing that you need to do that's going to be actionable is you got to advocate. You have to be an advocate for your dog. Learn how to support your dog. That means, like you said earlier, making those notes, journaling, 
um, you know, like I'm going to start a journal with Myers because I was thinking about this on Friday. I'm going to start a journal with him with uh, my stress level of the day, his stress level of the day, and I'm going to break it into three three sections because for me, morning, mid, and afternoon or evening, I have three specific really times of the day. My morning is not like everyone else's. I usually get up a little bit later. My midday is more in the early afternoon for most people. Mm -hmm. And then my afternoon evening is going to be anything up to like midnight. So I'm going to start keeping up what my stress level is, writing down his stress level. Also going to write down what he's eating. Is that causing any difficulties or any changes? I really want to find out a little bit more because if I just try to think about it and keep it in my mind, I'm going to lose it. One, because I'm keeping up with a lot of other clients, but I want to write it down so I can look at the specifics and put together really what those triggers look like to see, am I affecting things? Is it what he's eating? Is it the routine that we've had this morning? Is it because we went to bed too late last night? Was it because he slept with you or he slept with me? Does that make a difference? He didn't get a nap. He didn't get a nap today. Yeah. How much time did he spend in the crate by himself today? That he went in on his own. Mm-hmm. How much time did he spend? All right, well, what happened the night before? So I think it's important that we keep a journal so that we get a better understanding and idea of what's going on. Or is there a time of day when he's more reactive? Yes. And that's when, where we need to do nap time. The answer is yes. Yeah, so you're <laughs> here all day, so you see that more, right? Also, as an advocate, we have to make sure we get them away from scary things. Don't put them in situations. Right, so that's where I want to make sure that we're going to close windows mm-hmm. um, before we leave the house to make sure if anyone is burning that we do that. Um, or if you know your neighbors, you can always ask the neighbors, hey, let me know before you do that. And then if you are going to burn, my windows are open, could you please go over to the house and close those? That's We know our neighbors well enough to do that. <laughs> they can just walk in our house. Exactly. And they do. And they do. <laughs> and we and, walk in theirs. And here's the thing also is that if you're dealing with a dog, a dog with trauma, even though I'm not big on jumping on medication first and foremost, I do think that you need to have a conversation with who you're working with and, and your veterinarian because medication in the beginning can be very helpful instead of waiting. I'm not, that's not going to be true for every case, but we do need to advocate that medication may need to be something. Um, and, and I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to put my dogs on medication. I don't want to be on medication. I don't want them to be on medication. Again, it's not about you. It's about the dog. We have to advocate for the dog. And if that medication is going to help them in the short term to get through some things, we need to do that. Now, I'm not talking sedative medication. I'm not talking about going to the vet and getting trazodone and using that anytime your dog is stressed out. I don't like that. Don't like the side effects of trazodone. very situational thing. Very situational. I'd much rather use some SSRIs and then having something like alprazolam for those moments mm-hmm. like we had last night. Myers is not on medication yet, but the more I'm, I'm looking at things, I'm probably going to put him on something or ask to put him on something, advocate for him to be on something. Well, and, and I think about a conversation we had with, um, another business owner talking about a family member of hers. And we were talking about the benefits of something like Xanax, um, and the way it works when you are in a state of panic and heightened awareness, hypervigilance. And this is something I've talked about with my psychiatrist as well. And the reason it's a per needed medication, um, like clonopin, anything like that, 
it's so your brain can calm down. Your body can calm down every part. Because you're in fight, flight, or freeze. Yep. Right? You need to come to a, a state of calm so that you can process the information that's being given to you. Because, like, we talked about, you get to a point of panic where you can't absorb any new information. Your memory, like, memory loss happens, yep. those sorts of things. And so the point of that medication, because people who are against it, like, this is why it's not always a bad thing. One, it's not a long-term solution. Two, it helps your dog come down enough to be able to say, one, oh, this isn't super scary. <laughs> exactly. Um, this The situation might be stressful, but, I, you know, maybe they've gone to a level that's above like we are in trauma land right now and they are not with us brings them down. And then we can start to do like the therapy and we can do the work and we can say, okay, I recognize that that was super stressful, but let's work through it. Sometimes you just need, you need a substance to get through that. Yes. And that's just the reality of it. And that's why it is important to work with a behaviorist or behavior consultant and a vet like it takes a village which is why and we have to be able to work together yeah which is why my psychiatrist requires that you also see a therapist or she will not work with you i love that because it's it's like trauma is difficult and it's multifaceted and there are a lot of things that have to be happening at once yep. and here's the thing like your general practitioner is not going to know all of this i mean right? so, your general some practitioner of them may. is a medical doctor yeah some of them they may, don't specialize but, in it yeah then they don't understand this. So they might just be saying, here's some Xanax. Take that when you're feeling nervous. Right. But if you're not doing anything to putting a Band-Aid figure on. out why yep. those panic attacks are happening. Right. And you're not doing anything to fix them. Exactly. And the best time to do that is... And there well, are moments that Band-Aids are good. Yeah. Put a sure. Band-Aid on or bandage until we can go sew it up. Exactly. Right. Because you can't sew it up while it's bleeding profusely. Right. And that's... You need to get it under control. You do have to get it under control. Yeah. So, but again, it's the type of medication used is very important. You can't just use like your standard... Like, I can't even tell you how many times trazodone has been referred and recommended by veterinarians. And one of the side effects is aggression. And I'm there for aggression. So it's just one of those things that we have to be very careful and... And I hope that, you know, veterinarians are willing to work with behavior consultants uh, because I'm not a veterinary behaviorist. I don't have the, the ability to prescribe anything, write a prescription, um, you know, but it's, it, we understand, I understand. I, don't, I can't say all behavior consultants. I don't know what they specialize in. Everybody specializes in different things. Some specialize in separation anxiety, mm -hmm. which, hey, kudos to you guys. That's tough. That's so tough. I love trauma and I love dealing with, I don't love trauma, but I love dealing with it because I love that kind of problem solving thing. But there are times that we just have to say, I've studied enough that these are kind of the general medications that are used in these cases. They may have tried something that's worked great, but we want to kind of see what is the general thing that we use for these situations so that we can say, this is what you need to go to your veterinarian and ask for. And that's that advocate. You have to be able to advocate for your dog and say, no, I'm not taking trazodone. This is what I would really like. And this is why here's the paperwork that my behavior consultant specialist sent me. And if you have questions on why you don't, 
can you please call them and have a conversation? Mm -hmm. Because I'll be able to, and typically when I write recommendations to take to the vet, I put on there why I want that particular medication. I, I put on what I see, um, and this is what I'm observing of the dog, and this is the medication, and this is why I want this medication. I don't say the dosage. I don't say, but I say this is why I want it because this is what's typically used for certain things. They can choose to do what they want. You're having a confused look on your face. Well, I know because um, I'm thinking of legal and ethical. Can you do that? I mean, I can write it, but it's just a recommendation. I can't prescribe it, but I can write a recommendation. I recommend um, that we use Clomacom because this dog has sound sensitivities and Clomacom has been shown to produce good results for dogs with sound sensitivity. So it's not... I'm going to recommend fluoxetine because this worked with four of my other dogs that I worked with. This is from research and understanding the medication. I can do it. They don't have to give them medication. I have no right to say this dog needs that. So I can't prescribe it. I can just give a recommendation from my education and my experience. The vets are the ultimate ones to make that decision. Gotcha. Yeah. We'll move on. But I, I see where you're coming from. But yes, again, it's just a recommendation. Um, and even if a veterinarian called and said, I would like to, to know why you recommend this, if I don't have something to back that up, and it's typically, well, because in this you know case study, this has been done, um, I get a lot of my information from the behavior book that they give to veterinarians. I do um, reference that a lot. So it's just about working together because we all have our specialties. Right. I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a neurobiologist. Um, I don't, I'm not a veterinarian. It's just what I've educated myself with. And I hope to continue to learn, you know, working with veterinarians and the same thing. They don't know behavior at all. And so it's my job to help them understand as well. It's a team effort, but the owner has, is the center of that. The owner has to be the advocate to say, no, this is what I demand. Because I've had, I've had clients go to where they're asking their veterinarian to do something and their veterinarian refuses. Like I've had clients go where I'm like, I need a full thyroid panel. I recommend a full thyroid panel. Send it off, not in-house. And the veterinarian would, would argue with the owner that they didn't need that. Thank goodness my client advocated for themselves. And for their dog. And that's what I just want to make sure that we are doing. That understand that not everybody in professions know everything. I don't know everything. I continue to learn. This is what I know and this is what I can do to help. But just like your veterinarian is not going to know anything, right? It's just we have to work together as a team. But the center point of that is the owner has to advocate. And they have to go with what they're feeling right. And if you're paying someone like me, to work with you and your dogs, know that I am there to do the best I can do for your dog. And, but I'm going to need you to advocate at your veterinarian, right? If I ask for x-rays, I'm going to need you to push for that. I have a reason, mm-hmm. right? But I have a reason, but you got to be willing to advocate. And, and it's amazing. There are a lot of people that are scared to fight for their dog. I don't want you to be scared to fight for your dog. I want you to, I really want you to stand up and advocate for them. Okay. Support. Uh, we talked about support in the spend, but you've got to support what they need, not what you think they need. And that's going to be different for every dog. Mm-hmm. You've got to support what they need, not what you think 
they need, which means you're going to have to really pay attention to see what that looks like. You've got to help them make some correct choices. This is going to be a big part of this that they have to learn to be able to make choices. Because if you don't have, if you don't have the ability to make choices, you're in trouble. Um, you've got to help them learn new skills because there's going to have to be some skills again, not dog training, but definitely some skills that they're going to have to learn. One of the biggest ways you can support them is giving them, I like to call it a spa room Mm -hmm. or a quiet room. We've talked about this before. Dogs need a place where they can go to feel safe. Myers has finally taken in his crate. Mm -hmm. Now, what's funny about his crate is that he has a little coffin bed in there. So he goes and lays in his coffin. But he can burrow in it. He can burrow in it. It's his little coffin bed. And now the lid's not on it. It's only a half lid, but the lid's not on it. But he goes in there, and that's his comfort. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I love that. It took a while for us to put him in there to calm down for him to start doing it on his own. Well, and I think what I realized is we stopped using the crate as a timeout in like a sort of like a consequence kind of way. And started using it as a timeout, as in... Decompression. You need decompression. Yeah. And I think that's what changed the whole dynamic of just looking at the crate as a... One, we use it for safety. I mean, he he doesn't need to be in the house when we're not here yet. He's not there yet. I mean, it's just the only reason I'm not letting him out is because of his excessive barking out the window. I'm not here to interrupt it. I'm not worried about him chewing anything up, playing right. with the cats. It's, potting or anything like that right. I don't want him sitting at the window barking for 30 minutes straight and, and work, I'm not here working himself up exactly and then that's why he's not allowed out of the crate right now when we're not home. until we can you know sort of get to a place where exactly. that's more managed um just so for safety he's there um but we don't use it as like a damn it like I don't even think I realized that my thought process changed on that. Mm-hmm. I think mine mine has over the. I'm still. I don't realize it, but, I, but you're I'm right. I'm not. I'm not like a. No, but I'm you've not, learned so much. I'm not going to shit on like people using crates because I think. Oh that hell they no! Have, I'll still use it for a timeout. They're still. But you're super right. Beneficial. We switched to where it was more about decompression and not timeout. We switched the the verbiage. Yes. And when you, and, and we talked about this in another episode. Words matter. Because then you think about it a different way. So we're not putting in you in there because you did something wrong. We're putting in you in there because, like, you need to like, like you had breathe. no ability to make the right choice, and need, it's my job to help you that. You need to breathe, and also I recognize I'm gonna go put myself in the decompression zone because I'm gonna lose my shit, and that's not gonna be good for either Amen one of us. Amen to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there are just times. So uh, You're right. We've we, talked about this in another episode, too. We really have If you get that. home from work, and you're in a terrible mood, and you know you're going to take it out on your kids, your spouse, your dog. Drive around the block. Drive around the block. Listen to your favorite song. Decompress. Get out of the car. Go take a walk. Dance. Scream. Whatever. Whatever, whatever you have to do. Don't bring it home. For the consistency and the predictability and the sake of everybody. Like, take care of yourself first. Sometimes I sit in the garage for an extra three and a half minutes before I come in. You sure do. You noticed it. Well, yeah, because dinner's getting cold. I'm sorry, but sometimes <laughs> I just need a decompression. <laughs> Which sometimes I'm just writing down my mileage and my clients Which I saw is that fine. day. But sometimes I need to just sit there and breathe. Which is fine. Sometimes I get off work and I just go sit on the porch. Which we should. You should have those. But we have to understand 
our dog needs that, mm -hmm. they may not can think of it as clearly, which is why we need to help them. But you're right. We really use that more as decompression than any time of any type of timeout. Yeah. I don't, I just don't think I realized it, that that's how we're like, we've been using it. You acted bad. Yeah. So now you're going to timeout. That's it's more of, oh my God, dude, you're off. You've all, you're off the rail. Like, you need to go chill out. You need a break. Yeah, you need a break. Yeah. Um, so having that quiet space is very important. And that, that quiet space is somewhere you need to use. You need to use that spot a lot. Mm -hmm. But you need to make it specific. Now, Myers is not as specific as it used to be. Okay. I used to have, uh, I'd play an audio book mm -hmm. when I'd put them in there. Right. Now I've learned that as long as there is a light on in my room, he knows that, okay, this is temporary. Mm -hmm. And when lights are out, that triggers him to night, night. silence, night, night, right? <laughs> I don't do an audio book anymore, but some dogs may need that, right? So I encourage my clients, and we've again talked about this before, I encourage clients to find a quiet room with something special, maybe some type of nice essential oil like lavender, something, not too strong. Something not toxic to not dogs. Not toxic to dogs, right? Just in a Please small diffuser. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, maybe some classical music, maybe some jazz. Every dog is going to have a little different taste. Stay away from, you know, hard rock. Um, anything that's with... Now, actually, there's even some, like, Myers can't handle high key change, mm -hmm. which is why I had to put my headphones on last night. Now I remember why I put my headphones in last night. To? I forgot what I was listening to, but it was changing in the tone, and he would whine. So I put my headphones in. But Isabella's a lot like I am with yes. um, noise. So I call it um, songs that are melodically chaotic. Yeah, you hate those. Because they're unpredictable. Yes. Uh, they, they don't make, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, whomever wrote it, like, why? Like, what were you doing? But I like them. <laughs> Some of you're, them. And you're, and you're not totally. Not all of them, but you're I'm okay with it. You're totally okay with it. And I'm like, no, I'm not saying, like, I need, like, that, those same three chords right. for four minutes. I just, what I'm saying is there's a certain type of song that is melodically chaotic that my brain cannot process. And it, I would name them, but they're... No, don't. We're in Nashville and... Yeah, please don't. Uh, if any of those songwriters are listening, I don't want to piss anybody off. So I, <laughs> I, I just like, I can't... So what I've noticed is like, Isabella's the same way. She's like, mm, like she'll start whining. And, and we like, need no, to pay please, attention to those things. Stop. Right? We need please to pay stop. attention to those. Yeah. Because if that, if your dog is responding to that, then knowing that playing that's not going to calm them down. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to add even to the journal. Yeah, for right? sure. So again, you see that as the owner, there is a lot on you. There's a lot on you for this, but you can do this. I believe in you. You can do it. We want to talk about, so we've talked about the spa room, um, giving choice when appropriate. I love being able to give dogs choices. We raised our niece that way. Mm -hmm. She had choices to make, and now she's a very confident young adult who is able to make choices for herself. She's more mature than me. And is inviting us on double dates. Inviting us on double dates, which is amazing. I love that kid. Um, she's amazing. Uh, it's not all us, obviously. But I feel like giving her the opportunity to make choices was mm -hmm. huge. 
And I see it with dogs. And for years, I've been teaching dogs to make choices through hand feeding, which we backed off a little bit on. We have. And I would go back and say, safely make choices. Oh, absolutely. Safely make choices. No, don't ever set them up for failure. Don't ever say, oh, sure. Go do this. See how it works. Yeah. Don't be If that's what you want to do. Like, if I, again, (laughs) I'm going to go back to if I want a child to make a good choice for dinner, and I'm going to give them options. I'm going to give them carrots, broccoli, and sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. I'm guaranteed they'll pick something that's healthy. As they get better and more mature, maybe then I give them broccoli, sweet potatoes, and peanuts for the little salty flavor, right? If they're not allergic. <laughs> if they're not allergic. <laughs> but it's so that you're teaching them that when they have that choice of broccoli, chocolate, cake, and a Snickers bar, that they know that that broccoli is the healthiest and best thing for them. And they're going to choose that because we set them up for that. So long as you haven't said you can never have a Snickers bar ever in your life. Bingo. Right? So it's, again, it's, there's a lot of trial and error that life plays. Mm -hmm. And I think that we don't give our dogs enough opportunity for trial and error. I think we punish for error, which is inappropriate, obviously. But I also think that we a lot of times set our dogs up for failure. We take them to some event who has, you know, 10,000 dogs and get pissed because they bark at every dog they see when they've never worked on that behavior before. Can I ask a random question about dog events? Why is there always a band there? For the humans. No, just have a fucking bar there. Right? That would be for the humans. Why do you need a band there? Like, just maybe play some, like, soft music, you know. Just an, just an observation. I've just noticed that it's always That's loud. That's a really good point. It's really loud. These festivals are always very loud. There's always a very loud band. Oh, my God. You're right. Holy moly. It just popped in my head. Sorry. That's okay. I haven't, no, been, to a, I haven't been to a dog event in a, in a we while. We were going to go today. Um, it was cold. And we didn't go. So, so, sorry. So you guys get two hours of a podcast. <laughs> so actually, honestly, it's weird an hour and 22 and a half right now. Sorry. I'm going to have to wrap this up. And we're going to have to make this a part. We're going to talk about oh, geez, part two. Really? I know. Yeah. Because there's so much more to cover. I told, I, I told you when I saw those notes. I hadn't even gotten into the deep, deep, deep details. I told you when I saw those notes. I was like, that's two parts. You need to tell people it's two parts. Uh, it's going to be two parts. Um. I'm sorry, guys. Can you put that in the beginning? I will put that in the very beginning, yes. I will put that Be in like, the very hey beginning. Be like, hey, guys. So you've already heard this. Yes, this is two parts. <laughs> Let's go ahead and wrap up this part, though, about we are going to get into details on what does choice mean when it's appropriate? What kind of choices can we help dogs with? What are some of the things that we can do at home right now? I don't want to say goals because I've already talked about don't have goals, right? Well, I, think it, you, it's, I think you do have to have – I mean – not measurable goals, right? Well, it needs to be more of what I mean by goals with humans. Maybe I should rephrase that. There are some goals that humans need to have. One, you need to make sure you provide safety. You need to provide support. You need to provide predictability. You need to advocate. You need to be like have goals to make sure you're that. Maybe milestone is the Ooh, milestone's a good is word. a better term. I like that. Milestone's a good word. Um, because, okay. and, and, and the reason is because goal seems finite and it seems like that's the end and it's fixed. Yeah. 
That's the thing. I don't want people to think that there's going to be an end and it's fixed. Okay, so my, we'll milestone I like it. milestone. Let's That's milestone good. it then. All right, we're going to milestone. Because it's measurable, but yes. at the same okay. time, it's, all right, we can we can see where we are. We do this at um, at my job. Okay. We call it a dashboard. Oh. <laughs> um, and they're milestones. I like that. Right. Um, all right. Can we shout out to your boss for that one? Yeah. Congrats. 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 Just, Great job. Great job, I sh- Jess. I should Great say job. congrats because she worked real hard on that. So yes, I like congrats that. No, her. good job, Jess. I like that. So yeah, there, it's more of a like milestone where we milestone. are. It's a benchmark. Okay. It's benchmarking where you're at. All right. So there you go, folks. Benchmarking. Yep. Mile marker. There. You still Not have a, a goal. Mile marker. You still have a goal, right? Like you, you want to get. I don't to want a place, people to feel like but... if they don't reach that specific thing, like their dog can go out and sit on a patio. I don't want them to feel no, like failures. The the point is. You have realistic <laughs> milestones, benchmarks. You have realistic benchmarks in place, and you are going to try to attain that, right? Like you're trying to improve, you're trying to get better, but it's a good way to see, like, okay, how far have we come? Where yeah. where are we at? What what do we still need to work on? That's the other side of it. Is like, all right, where can we still improve? But look how far we've come. All right, we didn't we didn't reach a hundred percent, but that's okay. But let's we take the small little things. Yeah, yeah. small steps, small victories, yeah. small wins. We have to. You're always growing and you're always changing, and you know you're there not you you're not going to hit a hundred percent every time, and that's Look, okay. I was thrilled that Myers rode in my car three separate times this week, mm-hmm. and his tail was only tucked twice. I'm going to take that one untucked tail, yeah, and I'm going to run with it. Because I don't know why he hates riding in the car. Sound sensitivity. My car was is a little rough when he was younger. I've gotten those things fixed. It rides much smoother. But you can tell, like, if I go over railroad tracks, he automatically tenses up. Mm-hmm. Even though I've got new shocks. I know. All right. We're going to have to wrap it up here because Sorry. we're already at, at an hour and 30 minutes. Sorry. And this we still have. This is my no, fault. No, I think this, this was. Uh, honestly, I don't think I could have asked this to go better. Because... There's so much that the human needs to recognize in order for this to be successful that yes, we can talk about what to do with your dog and the things you need to specifically do with your dog. But if we don't have this first part, we're not going to be successful. Mm -hmm. So I think this went exactly the way it needed to go so that humans understand that you're such a big part of the success on this that it's just, it it truly is. It goes back to, to Daniel Beck's, you know, comment of this is a lifestyle change. You have to change your thought process of what this relationship looks like and find that middle ground and meet your dog where they are and look for improvement on a daily basis, but not necessarily trying to change who they are. Mm-hmm. Right? Not looking for perfection, just improvement. So we'll wrap it there. You guys are going to have one more week of this. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know you were wanting this finished, but we were too. We were too. Right. But this is, this is the way it goes. Um, this is just how it happens and I'm not going to, I'm not going to force things. So I think that we're going to wrap it here. We will give you guys the final, 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 (laughs) final trauma episode next week. In the meantime here, these are things you need to go ahead and start working on. We've talked about that nutrition 
changing the food, making sure the gut's healthy. Now we've talked about you advocating, making sure you set up a safe place for your dog, which we've talked about in multiple episodes before. Making sure that you are aware of your behavior and how it affects your dog. And, and of course, just supporting your dog through all of it. And then next week, we will talk about the specifics of teaching your dog how to ground, what anchoring means, how co-regulation and self-regulation plays a part. We're going to get into it. In the meantime, you guys have a great rest of the week. Do something for yourself. Hug yourself. Have a drink. Whatever you need. Britt, I feel like, has something to say. Go ahead and say it. Oh, no. I see my psych and my therapist this week. Awesome. week. So, like, I'm, Well, there you go. It's a winner. No, there's winner, no winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> Hope you guys have a great week. 